Good morning. This is time for uh, Doc Scott's um, revival talk, of course, which was supposed to happen an hour ago, um, at least. Yeah, I think it's about 11, right? Excellent. Well, you know, um, marital advice. When your wife comes in and says she has something she wants to tell you that she feels like the Lord's saying, you should probably stop everything you're doing and do that because um, that's a good practice. And it also means that she has something to say. So for all you men out there, when your wife says they got something from the Lord, I just want to tell you to, um, you know, uh, pause. Yes, because what she ha what happened today, I'm, I told her I was going to talk about it and steal all her thunder, sort of. But essentially, um, when you have divine interruptions, you know, um, Brother Lawrence used to talk about practicing the presence and how essentially, you know, God kind of interrupts us um, sometimes with, you know, he interrupts us in the things that are mundane, you know, like we're washing the dishes or something like that. And all of a sudden we have this, you know, download. And so, and I think also sometimes Jesus has to interrupt us just to kind of get us to um, actually hear something because we're so busy doing life. And I know for me, I'm often consumed with what some of my big questions are, the things that I'm kind of rumbling about. And then I spent another half hour trying to think about the things we were talking about so that I could actually have something to say or not. And kind of... Um, one of the things that the Lord just kind of interrupted her and said was, and I think it's applicable to more than one, I don't think it's just us, that we are in a time of extreme favor. And um, and that there is, there's a sense that um, when you're in a season of extreme favor, I think one of the big questions, let me say it this way, that comes into the, the picture for me is how much of revival is on man's shoulders and how much is on God's shoulders. Um, how much of what we do with what we carry is on us and how much of it is on God. And I think sometimes we get, um, when we get into protracted seasons of waiting, it challenges it can leave us in a place where we get paralyzed. Where we're waiting on something to happen for us to get engaged. And I remember one time we got this word. Uh, we've got this word a couple different times. But I remember um, getting the word about basically that, um, that God wasn't waiting. We didn't have to wait on any governmental entity. And I knew what the person was saying when they said this. In other words... You guys don't have to wait for some big endorsement or for something to happen for you or for you to be connected to a particular thing for you to do what you're called to do. I'm not talking about covering, which I think happens in the context of relationship. I'm talking about you don't have to wait for an edict to come from somebody else or for somebody else to release you to do the thing that God tells you to do. And so... And I'd heard that a couple different times and it was like always baffling to me because then the question becomes, well, what am I supposed to be doing? And it's, I think because we're so do oriented, then we, we like liken everything to, I want a plan and I want to pull it back into my plan. I want to know what my plan is. And then I have all mapped out. 
And so living in holy chaos and in the disruption, the divine disruption that revival brings um, is a different era and a way of functioning because on one hand, Jesus is trying through forced change that revival brings to peel away that which is familiar, that which we cling to in order to bring us into the unfamiliar territory of revival and living in the moment where we actually do, I was reading in Acts, have our being, we live, move, have our being in the spirit. And that we're actually available for that, that we're available to redeem the day. That the this day doesn't go by without me seeking what God's heart or agenda is for the day. And there's a, you know, living by the Spirit means that we are always listening, but we're always also moving in the sense that we're not waiting all the time. We're looking at everything as an opportunity. So wherever you're plopped down, whether it's your living room or your workplace, we're always you know, scanning the kingdom of heaven in terms of listening and seeing what God's doing right in front of us. And sometimes I know I get caught up in you know, doing something, having to look a certain way, you know, particularly in times of transition, that I can miss what's going on in the very moment. And so one of the words that Doug Addison um, came out with, because July is key, okay? Um, a lot of things out there prophetically about July being a key and beginning to see what God has been doing behind the scenes. I love the parable where the guy goes to sleep and he wakes up and it's harvest time. And we're really living in that parable right now. That we, God has been preparing things behind the scenes for a long time. And I think it's easy for the enemy to come in and tempt us in seasons that where we feel like we're waiting on things to open. That God is not working, that God isn't doing something. When, you know, all the while, God has always been working. He's always working behind the scenes. And most of the things we get by just showing up. He's always got something that he's, he's been weaving together the tapestry of my life. And the things that I would walk into and the chapters in my book of life that are laid out, those were woven together and formed and conceived in him before we got here. So Jesus is never, therefore, comma, surprised. Oh, good morning, Jermaine. You're welcome. Um, he's not surprised by the conflict that we have or the obstacle that we're facing or the thing that we're running into. He's not caught off guard by it, you know. And I think when we come out of our places of victim mentality, the victim and orphan mentality is what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me, God? And if my heart says that, then we can know that that's my orphan speaking and probably should tell him to shut up for a minute so I can really hear. Because the victim looks at life happening to them and then we live in reaction to what's happening. And so life becomes one long knee-jerk reaction to everything that's happening. Because in the victim's mentality, not the son or daughter, life is, is rolling over me and God is doing things to frustrate me, to back me up, to mess me up. 
And he, you know, we become on that end of it, the product of, you know, we're the one that God's trying to get. And so in a victim mentality, there's one core belief that does not exist in the victim mentality. And that is that God is good. If I believe, I remember Bill Johnson saying, you know, if he had to identify a core belief or a core issue and nine, you know, in all of Christendom is the belief that God is not good. If I believe and know that he is good, even regardless of what my soul has experienced in my own wounding, my own rejection, abandonment, etc., all the things that have happened in my soul that would try to tell me that life is hard and that this is a hostile world and that the universe is against me, you know, etc., etc., all of that kind of thinking that gets birthed from those wounded places um, is what becomes part of our way of thinking about what God's doing. And so when I believe that God is good, that part settles. I don't live from that place of seeing myself as the victim of my circumstance anymore. I see obstacle and I, as an opportunity. Every obstacle, every place that I get stuck is a place of opportunity for God to do something miraculous and do something that I can't. And I do believe that God has orchestrated a lot of scenarios. If he's orchestrating something in, in all of this, I think he is orchestrating things for his glory. And he gets maximum glory in the realm of impossibility. And our big faith that he wants us to be able to believe him for the things that he's put in us. So we are really, um, when I think about us being prepared for revival, we are and we aren't, okay? We are because everything let me say it this way. Some of us have been prepared in different places for what God's about to do. And some of us are being prepared in occupations and places and jobs and ministry opportunities in places that aren't necessarily the thing that we were even created for. So I always reckon, you know, reckon that to like being like Joseph in the prison, right? So we've gotten all these things that we've been prepared for, or maybe the thing that we feel like we're called to. Let's say that I feel called, which would be a funny joke for me, that I personally feel called to be a um, singer and musician, which I'm not. If that's what I feel like is the calling that's on my life, that would be in the realm of the impossible for me. It would be something that I could never manufacture, right? In other words, I can't make that happen. It would take extreme favor. Plus, it would also um, have to involve a gift, right? Because our gifts do make room for us. So my point in that is, is that some of the things that we've been prepared for, the track that God is preparing us for is probably going to be something that we don't feel qualified to do. Our preparation in my life, no matter where that preparation or the context of that preparation has been, is preparing us usually for something beyond us. 
And so in God in God's economy, it's not linear. I don't in the world's economy, if I want to prepare to be that singer or to be a CEO of a company, I go through all these very logical planned steps. I get this job, I get this promotion, I connect with these people, I make these connections, I get to do this, and I basically get to do all the grunt work on the way to that path, and I make all the sacrifices to get there. But it's very it's very logical, right? Um, in the corporate ladder, you know, we make decisions and we climb that corporate ladder, and over years, we take this territory. Okay, God's economy doesn't work like the corporate ladder at all. <laughs> Not remotely. Because there is preparation that he has done in us through the things that we have been experienced in, the things we have endured, even the dark places, even the places of our greatest struggle and our greatest defeat have all been places of preparation. That there is nothing that is ever wasted in this whole journey that God hasn't used. And his intention has never been to hold me back or stop me or to keep me from stepping into my destiny. Never been his intention. Now, there are places in my life where I've come to the threshold of crossing over into something and I've seen something blow up. God didn't do that. But God isn't going to waste that opportunity either. So when I say that we're prepared for this revival, I'm saying that we are prepared in the things that God has formed in us through the many avenues that he's done it for us to walk into a place of being able to be a habitation of Holy Spirit and not blow up. I think the reason for some of us being on long, protracted preparation journeys is because the thing that he is preparing us for is so far greater than anything we've ever experienced. So many of us, you know, it's easy to put age and a number because that's the world system. Remember, Jesus doesn't do things by the world system. In the world system, when you reach a certain age, you're done. If you're 50, you're like near retirement and you're ready to get put on a shelf. In God's economy, there isn't a number attached to your destiny. Your destiny is not connected to an age or a world progression that has these steps in it. We're not in the world system. And favor trumps the corporate ladder. Favor trumps the corporate ladder. Favor and extreme favor brings me into things that I could have never prepared for. But the preparation that he's been doing in me, honestly, has been primarily to bring me into a place of, of de-orphaning me. Most of what has happened to us in the long protracted preparation periods, like Joseph, has been to pull Egypt and the orphan out of me so that I can believe that God is good and I can believe that he's for me. And it, it takes a lot more to get Egypt out of somebody than it does to put it in them. 
Putting Egypt into somebody, bondage is quick and easy. Pulling Egypt out is the process of what it means to walk with Jesus and trusting the process that he is delivering me from the hell of myself, the part of me that would blow up my entire life and every opportunity that would come my way because I am orphaned and because I believe that I am a victim. Our process has been a process of Jesus pulling the Egypt out of us and bringing us into a place of simple trust and obedience where we know that he's good. And when my core of me knows that God is good, I look at every obstacle then because here's what he's preparing us for. This is a party that goes to the end, but it is a party that is a war at the same time. And I have to be able to war and face obstacles because the thing that I am made for, I was made for war and you were made for war. But if I'm a warrior and a dread champion in these days for such a time as this, right, my wife said we need to start acting like sons and daughters. If I'm a warrior and I have all the goods of the kingdom, my identity is connected as a son or a daughter, and all of heaven is backing me up because I am seated in the place of authority. I am in the place I'm doing the thing that I was actually created for. Then I can go through that with my head, with flint in my forehead, and I can pierce every obstacle and move through every place of warfare and every place that is hard and every block or hindrance that comes in my way. If I'm an orphan or a victim, I will become obliterated. I will never be a habitation of Holy Spirit. I will be done because I, the enemy will fold me under in my shame and bury me. Because if I believe what I believe about myself, I'm going to manifest. So if you believe you're an orphan, you're going to manifest an orphan. And orphans cannot take the kingdom. Orphans cannot take the planet by storm. Orphans cannot fulfill the mandate of heaven on earth. Only sons and daughters fulfill the mandate of heaven that is on us in this hour. Sons, daughters, mothers, and fathers. That's who fulfills the mandate. Sons and daughters, positionally, mothers and fathers, and everyone else is joined in the generation from the youngest to the old. And we don't operate independently. You know, I heard somebody recently say, It was a millennial that said something about, you know, the Lord kind of like chastised me about this whole idea. We're always saying that the younger generation is going to take it all by storm. The generation is the youngest to the oldest. And as fathers and mothers of faith, where we play a key role in coming alongside those who are walking into the things that are going to take this world of the enemy by force and the kingdom of heaven coming to earth are going to walk in unprecedented power. But here's the deal. Unprecedented anointing. We're not walking into this with them as ones who haven't had it or don't get it. We're not walking into alongside a generation that we're just their floor to their... We're just the ceiling that becomes their new floor. That... <laughs> 
We're not just that, because that just means you get to take everything that we've had sown into us and start from there and go forward. We actually get to be a partaker of everything that they're going to be a partaker of. But as a son, as a father and a mother, we get to come alongside them and see them launched into the very thing that they're created for, their destiny. We don't come in as poverty-struck mom and dads who have nothing, who have no encounter, who have not had and experienced all of what heaven has for us. We're not walking in empty-handed. We're walking in loaded. And if we're not loaded, then we need to figure out like how we get loaded because it's all ours. One of the things that um, um, we were talking about, my wife and I, this morning was that as we come into this new era and this new season in revival and what God is doing on the planet, there is a letting go and a canceling. One of the things that Doug Addison saw was he saw this huge fire and it was burning up these contracts and it was breaking chains and removing things that were old. And so there is... There is something that God is definitely doing and pulling Egypt out of us and pulling the old out of us, pulling religion out of us, pulling away all the forms that no longer facilitate the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And he's pulling that away so that he can bring something new and something new can't go into an old structure, whether that old structure is in me or in church or wherever in any religious structure, all of that has to get pulled away or it will burst, it will contaminate, the wine will be spilled, and it won't ha- we won't be able to carry, we will not be a habitation of Holy Spirit who carries revival if what God is trying to pour out is coming into an old mindset. The biggest thing that Jesus is changing and impacting is he's changing our mindsets and the way we think. A mindset, like even believing that God is good, is a new mindset because it's leaving the orphan mindset and taking on the mindset of heaven that I'm a son or a daughter who belongs here and I have an identity as a son and I have an anointing. I have a, I carry the kingdom and I get to release the kingdom and I've been, I have a mandate of heaven on my shoulders that I've already been mantled for. All I'm doing is showing up and walking it out. That's what sons do. But one of the things that I think he wants to let us go through, and it's one of the things that we were praying, hey, Tammy, see you there, um, is this. Conscious or unconscious, written or unwritten, we have made contracts with things in this season, in the season that we're leaving. And that that fire that Addison saw, Doug, in heaven was burning up those contracts. A contract could be a commitment that I made to be in a church that I haven't been to for three years or whatever, to walk this out, that plan. It could be a job or an assignment from heaven that I had for a season. It can be, it could be a lot of things. It could be the contract that I made with the debt that I have or the contract that I made with a city or a region. Look, God has a people for you. 
and a people for me. And I believe that there are sovereign times, sovereign places, sovereign outpourings, and there are sovereign places geographically for us to be. Any place that we've made a contract or we've made a long-term commitment, I think is a place that's up for valuation in the Holy Spirit, honestly. I think that where Jesus is taking us and where what unholy chaos of revival and living in this place of disorientation dictates, where God is bringing the forced change that revival brings and the unmeasured grace to go with it means that I cannot take and I and, lot, and latch onto any particular assignment or any particular um, engagement and, and assume that this is my track because I will easily get back on the corporate ladder world system if I take on something that isn't something that heaven is giving me. So what do I mean? I need to be free to move with the Holy Spirit. I need to be free to engage with the assignment. And that's why we've talked about, you know, our churches are no longer church as usual. We really are prophetic intercessory bodies who are through revelation apprehending the assignment that heaven has for us. The only way you stay current with what God is doing on the earth is to not be tethered to anything that's here and locked in in a way that prevents you from having any kind of movement, whether that movement is lateral, up, down, sideways, uh, vocationally, geographically. The minute that we're tethered to something that connects us to the world system, even a religious system, we are no longer a free agent for the Holy Spirit to use. And I think in that sense, we have less... Let me say this. A lot of what we're going to do is going to be outside the church. Just saying. That for some of us, churches become really boring. My church isn't boring. I just say that. But for many of us, the thing that he's been preparing us for in the church is to do something that takes us outside of the church, that takes the gospel, that takes the kingdom, that takes the habitation that's in me into the world and does something with it there, which means it's not going to be religious. It's not going to look religious. And it means that religious people are going to be nipping at your heels the whole way. My wife and I spent some time in Nashville last week and met some incredible people. And, you know, we walked into that situation thinking, you know, we had an idea of what the agenda was of the Holy Spirit that we were going to minister to people. We didn't realize how much the environment, the, the actual atmosphere and the people themselves and the stories that they had to tell were going to actually wreck us in a good way. And I think in a small way, that's, that's like, kind of like what God is saying in the bigger picture. If I walk in and I assume what every part of something is and what part that I'm doing and what a situation is going to play out, um, I will miss what God is doing. 
Jesus is taking the playbook out of our hands. He's taking our five-year plan, our playbook for the moment, for the year, for the decade, all of it out of our hands. And what he's doing is he wants us to live by the Holy Spirit playbook, which is I live, move, and have my being in you, and I am following you, and I'm connected to what you're doing on the planet. I am living out the assignment and the mandate that heaven has on me, which is fluid. Meaning, my assignments can change. The mantling and anointing that I have on me can change with the new assignment. I need to be able to function as the Holy Ghost free agent (laughs) so that we are free to move, live, and have our being and be a part of this people group or that people group or whatever God is doing. We have to be free to do it. And if we're tethered to earthly contracts, contracts we've made in our heart, contracts we've made with locations or people or whatever, whatever we are tethered to will be the restriction that we have on us and our ability to move. And Jesus is pulling off all of our restrictions. Because I believe there's something he wants to do with redeeming time. And I've been mulling over this idea of redeeming time. What does that mean? If you're someone like me, who has, I used to live a lot of years in regret about the way things played out with, you know, this, that, divorce, children, all these things, you know, ministry, etc. And I would live in these perpetual places of regret, always waiting for the thing that I felt like God wanted to launch us into and feeling like I was never there. Part of that was I wasn't able to live as much in the moment and see what God was doing in the moment. So I was squandering the moment that I was in because I was always looking for something that was coming. That's one part of redeeming the time is to take and look at the time that I've been given today and not wasting it. It's, it's, it's knowing that the days are evil and that our time is short. So it means that I have to, I think Jesus has poised us to accomplish 80% of our work and 20% of our time so that we can give ourselves even more fully to the thing that he's doing that's beyond just my job. My job is included, but it's broader than my job. I wasn't created just to work my job. I wasn't created for the 40, 40, 40. 40 hours a week for 40 years and get the $40 watch at the end. I wasn't made for that and neither were you. And so I think part of redeeming the time is looking at what we're doing in every day. And when we live in perpetual regret, that means that we've been living in places where we weren't redeeming that time at that time in that time because we end up with this place of regret. When we realize, though, that God has not wasted anything and that our longer, our long seasons of preparation are all part of what he's been preparing us to do, what he's created us to do, the mandate, the assignment that's on our life, then it frames that up in a different way where I begin to see that God's purpose has always been working in my life. 
He's always been working behind the scenes and that his intention for me was to be productive and to give myself fully to the work that was in front of me of the kingdom every point along the way so that I wasn't always waiting for something to come. I was living in that moment. And that's part of what Jesus is freeing us to do is to live in that moment. Another part of redeeming time has to do, honestly, if you've had seasons of loss, and we've all quoted the scripture, you know, that all the years the locusts have eaten, yada, yada, yada. The problem with all the years the locusts have eaten has more to do with the mindsets that got created when they were eaten in me that are limiting factors than the fact that I lost. Does that make sense? In other words, the enemy has used loss and great loss to create a lens and a way of seeing God through the lens of disappointment and loss and regret. And the reason Jesus is, that's part of Egypt, okay? They were always regretting what they had. They were in bondage, but they regretted what they had when God was doing something new, beautiful, and alive, and manifesting himself. They, they were experiencing supernatural in every way possible. I mean, they were fed supernaturally. They were led supernaturally. They were living a supernatural life. And yet they were complaining because of what was familiar back here. Their radical um, commitment to walking in familiar territory robbed them of living life in the unfamiliar and capturing the moment that they were in. They couldn't capture it because they were always longing for something back here. And they remained a victim and an orphan. And they didn't see the obstacle that was in front of them as an opportunity for more supernatural. Jesus isn't just doing supernatural for us just to have it. He actually wants to, us to want more than what he's actually been giving us. Everything that we encounter in supernatural, he's actually wanting us to have more than that. He has made us for the war and he's made us for the more. We were made for war and we were made for more. And we can't be living like we were made for less and like we're victims of life. We can't be a victim. We were made for war. He has made me to be a warrior. He has made me to get the more and to get the more. And getting the more is like being able to say that I even want more. We are allowed to be full on gluttons in the kingdom of heaven. I listened to um, Sean Boltz last night talking about his gifting and the prophetic and how essentially he doesn't think that it was something that was he didn't have this heritage or this thing, you know, long line of whatever, this long series of words and all this other stuff that kind of launched him into the prophetic. It was something he wanted and went after. And because he was going after it, God gave it to him. Everything you behold, you will manifest. Everything you go after, you can get. If you go after nothing, you get nothing. In the kingdom of heaven, we were made to be the world's biggest opportunist. If you want to be an opportunist, here's your chance. I don't mean that in a way to demean or hurt people. I mean that in you can have it all. And so take it all. 
Why be comfortable and why just have what you have when you're created for more? We were made for the more. We were made to have it all, to walk in it all, and to release it all. You have not because you ask not. You cannot give away anything you haven't received. So why don't we want more so we can release more? I want more so I can release more. He knows that he can trust you. He's been training you on the backside of the desert or in prison for the last 20 years. He's been training you to trust him. He's been pulling Egypt out and letting you know that he was good so you're prepared. And whatever you're not prepared for because of what he's woven into your life, he will prepare you supernaturally for. That's like when I go to another country and I get a download of the language. I wasn't prepared for that. Suddenly I'm speaking it. There is supernatural preparation. It's all supernatural. There is a preparation that he's woven into every circumstance in my life that has not been wasted. And then there is also supernatural preparation. It's the preparation that he gives us to do the mandate or the assignment because, and we don't have the tools. He'll download the tools. He will give us the tool. And crazy, radical, extreme favor is our prayer now. Because favor will put me and you in places we couldn't get. Favor will attract all of heaven's resources to you. Favor will attract every divine connection you need to make. So when I say I'm asking Jesus now and we're asking Jesus together, I want extreme favor. I don't want that which I could get on my own. I want that which can only come from heaven because the more that comes from heaven and that isn't a product of me, the more glory that's released in the land. I cannot release glory from me. I can release the glory of heaven and I can release what I've received. So I need to be having the very encounter that I want to release. If that means I need to be having the heaven encounter, I need to be in that trance, I need to be translocated, I need to be able to have supernatural provision, watch debt get canceled supernaturally, whatever it is I need, I want everything so that I have something to give away. Otherwise, what are we giving away? Nobody wants you. I don't mean that weird, I'm being funny. Nobody wants what I can bring that's just Scott. Nobody wants that. What they want is what I carry. They want what you carry. They want the testimony of Jesus that was formed in you so that when you release your testimony by the word of your testimony and the blood of the lamb, it will come into the realm of possibility for somebody else and they can get it. That's what my testimony and the blood of the lamb is all about. When I hear somebody talk about supernatural vision, I go after it. Why? Because the testimony went out that it's possible. So when you and I go into every place and we release the thing that God has done in us that we have received from him, our testimony opens the gate and the door and the window for somebody else to pull on heaven and make that demand on heaven for them. When I watch Sean Bolts, I'm like, I want to do word of knowledge 
like that and I want to go beyond that. I want to be able, why? Because I want to feel big? No. We walk in the room and do what we do. We know it's Jesus. He's okay. Humility is agreeing with him. He can handle that. Because when I come in and you see someone where where they're standing there and you can talk to them and tell them things that you could never know any other way, they know that God has visited them. They know that the God of heaven has come into this moment and spoken to me that he has my number, that he sees me. The prophetic releases the seeing over people so that heaven and everyone connected to the agenda of heaven can see them. That's what we release in the prophetic. We unveil them so they can be seen to themselves and to others. We launch them and unveil them so that they can be seen, so that heaven is drawn to what they're doing and divine appointments come into those pictures, right? The prophetic is a releaser of heaven and it releases people to be seen and to be launched. That's why I want what's on him. He's not a respecter of persons, so why can't I have it? You can have it. We need to want everything. We need to go after everything. And we need to be connected to a God that is limitless, that has no limit. A million dollars is the same as one to him. It's not hard. So, Father, release. I asked the Lord yesterday, I said, I want you to demonstrate your love toward me with the extravagance. I want to experience extravagant love in every place. Love and crazy favor, love and crazy provision, love and God bringing things that I could never do, putting me in places and sending me places that I could never get to, opening opportunities that I could never get on my own. That's what we want. I want crazy, 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 extreme, extreme favor of heaven because that is the realm of the miraculous and the impossible and that is God's specialty and when I release that testimony of what Jesus has done extravagantly for me as a son not an orphan that testimony becomes a word that breaks the chains off of others I can only release and give away what I've been given. So I need to want more so I have more to give away. Jesus knows that I and you are going to be good stewards of the habitation of the Holy Spirit in us. That as a walking encounter, we're not a walking encounter so we can feel great. We're a walking encounter with heaven so that we can give away heaven. So why wouldn't I want all of heaven? So that's my prayer. I want it all. I want everything. Jesus, we want it all. We want and we're asking you today together because every word that God drops in your spirit is something that goes and you're supposed to preach on the mountaintop. The thing that he reveals to you in your closet is the thing that you preach. When I get a word, heaven is inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's not a country club. It's not made for specials or elites. 
as a pastor and a leader, if I'm hoarding my revelation, I'm hoarding people, then no, let go, let go. Heaven is always inclusive. It brings everybody with them. As a leader, you need, we need to bring everybody with us. We need to bring and apprentice the whole world behind us because that's our word and our testimony, the things we receive that we can release. We want to release people into it. We don't have time to be territorial or not share. Heaven's not a country club for the few and the elite and the gifted. Everything that heaven has that's on Sean, that's on anybody else, is mine. We don't, heaven is not elitist. He doesn't have a special few that have all the gifting and the rest of us get to just wait our turn. No. It's all for all. Whatever you want, you can have it. Whatever you ask for, believing in my name, it's yours. Why would you put something like that in the book if you didn't want me to do it? All things is all things, not some. Why would you make me dream a big dream? Why would you make me pray a big prayer if I wasn't supposed to have it? I used to say that to God. It's like, you made me wrong. Because if I'm asking for something that ain't happening, I don't know why it needs to be happening because, like, you made me this way. Your fault. <laughs> All your fault. But he's willing to take responsibility for that because he did make us that way. He made you for more and he made you for war. He made us for both. And we can only give away what we received, so we have to have it all. We cannot be hoarders. What you hear in secret, you preach it from the mountaintop. Every revelation is for somebody else beside me. It is not just for me. It's something to be shared because when I release that word and that testimony of what Jesus says and does in me, I actually break the chains and release a captive or a multitude of captives out here who have been held captive by their own mindsets. The biggest chain is the way we think. And the biggest chain that Jesus wants to remove is my mindset and my way of limited thinking that has been forged in my in the cauldron of adversity and that which happened to me and that which what I did in my own sinful choices. That cauldron created an Egypt in me and my mentality. That part is going. The orphan is dead. He's out. And the mind of heaven is in me. That's the reason. If you want to know the thing God's prepared you all along to know was that he was good. Because without the premise that he is good, there is no other way that we could do any of what we do and give anything away. We have to believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That everything that's on the palate and on the table, even that which is given to somebody else, is also mine. Because they received it, they can release it. And what their testimony says is a testimony that becomes mine. If you'll do it for one, you'll do it for me. So Jesus, 
I thank you you've prepared us for war and we're asking you for the more. And I release over myself. The heavens have been opened ever since Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened. They never closed. That's religious. To think that there's some sort of brass heaven over me. Jesus never closed the heaven. They've always been open. He is not dysfunctional. He doesn't say, oop, narrow the funnel for her. Widen it for him. They're open. The only veil between me and heaven are the veils in me. Not heaven's veils over me. This is not veiled. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to remove the veils in me so that I can see into the unseen real and call it into existence as I frame up that reality with my words. What I see, I can have. What I frame up with my mouth and declare and decree becomes a new reality that's manifest. The veils are in us, so remove the veils in us. That veil called Egypt, that veil called religion, that veil called orphan, that veil, those are the veils. We've had this one backwards. And religious people, Pharisees, have had an investment in, in making you and I think that there was a, a brass heaven over me, a closed heaven, because it propped them up and gave them the only access. And it's exactly what the Pharisees did. They wanted to be the ones who were the owners of the gate. That was the problem that Jesus had with them. He said, look, you guys think you're the gatekeepers and you don't let anybody go through the gate. This concept that there is a brass heaven over me is hogwash, hogwash. It was, it's been le legitimately, illegitimately with intention or without intention propagated by people who wanted to set themselves up in some capacity, unintentional or not, as the keepers of revelation. Jesus is not holding revelation back from you. He is not setting up the elite for revelation. Everything that is available to one is available to, is available to all. The heavens were open when Jesus was baptized. They've never closed. They've always been open. They're still open. And I am not the keeper of revelation. It is for all to receive and for all to freely give. That's why we always give it all away. If you want to know how Jesus can trust you, is he'll trust you by what you do with your talents. He'll trust you with what you do, with what you've been given. If you give it away and you invest it and you make it multiply, because when I give away the word of my testimony, that thing begins to multiply and it, it multiplies. It's like leaven in the bread that goes into somebody else's heart and expands and opens up their world and their heart to know that there is a reality and a truth that is theirs. That's what we do. We have to step away from this idea that there's some brass heaven over me. Are you kidding? The only veils are in me. Religion orphanhood, 
whatever you want to call it, shame. Right? That's Jesus getting Egypt out of me. Is he's removing the veils in my own heart and my own mind that come from my own wounded places. It is not a setup that is dysfunctional where we're the ones that have something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with you. The only thing that we need is for Jesus to help us engage in the kind of repentance that changes my mind. And the way I change my mind, if that means I get healed of something, if that means that God goes after my heart in a place, if God confronts something in me, that's how I change my mind. Jesus says, your mindset about me has been wrong. You don't think I'm good. You think that there's only the elites that hold the power to revelation and that it's only for them. And my repentance is saying, I repent. That's a wrong mindset. Mindsets are attached to experiences of rejection and experiences of abandonment and experiences of loss. And out of those things, we create mindsets that become limiting factors that the enemy fortifies because he connects it to my shame that already says I'm something wrong with me and we stay in bondage. That's why the word of the testimony that goes forth that says, no, 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 you can have this, you can have this, you can have this. The word of the testimony that goes forth that says you're not an orphan, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a daughter, you're a daughter, you're a son. That word breaks that mentality off of me. The prophet opens the way for me to repent. That's all they do. They're changing my mindset. When Jesus releases a word, whether it comes to a person or it's the word I get in my closet, those are the best. When he speaks to me, like the vision that he gave me of me coming out of this place deep in the earth, coming out and climbing out and stepping onto the earth naked and dirty because I had been locked away in this prison underground. And I came out of that prison underground and he said, and now you will be seen. You are no longer hidden. That word didn't come from a prophet. It came from Jesus himself in a vision. That's the kind of word that he wants to release to you. That's the kind of word that sets the captives free. That's the kind of, you know how many veils came off of me? How many veils came out of my mind? Since that time, I've started to see in the spirit during the daytime. I'm telling you, when Jesus removes the veil on the inside that are tethered to my shame, and to my past, and to things that they're, they've been connected to. When he frees me from the mindset, because of the word that comes to me, from the word that he drops in me through a vision, through an encounter, through whatever, the angel that shows up, all of it. That's the word that brings freedom, and that's the word that I release. He's freeing you and freeing me so that we can give something away. There is no brass heaven. Break that over yourself. There is nothing that's been locked up over you. The only locks that ever exist are in the human heart. And that's where Jesus came to set me free. 
He came to set me free from the hell of myself so that I could behold and manifest something greater, so that I could behold and manifest the one that I see. There's no veil over you. There's nothing that's separating you from God. There is nothing that separates you from revelation. The only thing that separates you is what you believe in your own heart. As a man thinketh, he believes. As a man thinketh, he is. Sorry. So Jesus changed my mindset. Do what you have to do in me to remove the veils that are in me that keep me from seeing who I am as a son or a daughter and keep me from apprehending all that heaven has for me. And Jesus, I was made for war and I was made for more. I was made to penetrate the enemy's kingdom with violence and ravage it. And I was made to have everything that you ever wanted to give. And so I'm asking you to bring the things I haven't known yet, that which I have yet to know or receive or experience or encounter in you. I ask you to bring it for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.